Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Fellow Room Niners. I think that's what I'm going to call my audience from now. What is going on? It's another week in this wonderful month of August. Time is moving too fast as always. But this is the introduction to episode 41. I will get right to that introduction in one moment. But first, get to room9podcast.com and fill out a contact form, please. And if you would love to help Room 9 financially... You can do that on our support page by reading our letter to a donor and deciding which way and how much you would like to help. That is always wonderfully appreciated. And speaking of finances, the Room 9 business plan is going to be done as you are listening to this, or at least as this episode is released. I'm very excited about that. And that means I get to go in front of a board of directors and try to get funding for this podcast and I could possibly get up to $11,000. So knock on wood, see how that goes. Hopefully I can upgrade and improve and mainly I want to put money into advertisement to really push this message out to the masses and get more people educated and family members educated and everything else that comes along with what we do here at Room 9. Other than that, get on social media. You can help that way by sharing, liking, commenting as much as possible. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr, we're on LinkedIn. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook, so even send me a personal friend request, Sean Cuddy, and I would love to connect and chop it up with you for a few minutes, as my one friend would say. And other than that, that's really all I got for you guys. Um, The other thing I'm doing is really focusing in these next couple months on improving my hosting abilities. I kind of found out in this episode, as I'm tired, I tend to get off track sometimes and forget I'm a host and like to just ramble on sometimes. So thank goodness for my editing, I made that sound a little better in this episode. But this is a great episode. This lady who I sit down with needs absolutely no introduction, but I'm going to give it to her. Janet Gaskin is here, finally. I recorded an episode with her, but something happened about 20 minutes into it where we got these weird robotic-sounding voices, so I had to reschedule with her, and it finally happened. And if you are a family member of a loved one, this episode is definitely for you. This woman has been a part of my journey even while I was still in jail. She was at the time working for Save the Michael. She now works for Horizon Health. And she is just one of the most selfless, loving, understanding human beings I've ever met in my life. And if you don't gather that through this episode, I don't know what will help you gather that because it doesn't take much with this woman. So I hope you enjoy it. We talk about what she kind of does with family members, how she handles it. And she even listens to a little bit about my divorce. (laughs) So here you go. Episode 41, Room 9. 
Hope you guys love it. Share this episode, comment, like it, email me at seancuddyhe at room9podcast.com. Give me ideas, connect with me, and enjoy. Much love. Wait a minute. You're Sean Cuddy. Oh, you better believe that. How you gonna know? Think about that one. I can't say no, you know, so if the only time a family can come is, you know, at 730 in the morning, like tomorrow, I'm meeting them at 730 in the morning. Mm -hmm. But then the other guy can only come at six o'clock tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. So what have I just done with my day? And then so I just pack it full. So at first I was doing like every hour. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, no, you don't do that because you don't even have time to run to the john now because you're doing every hour. And then I'm ending up with like all this overtime at the end of the week that's not necessary. So, and you know, you really don't want to claim it because it's like my issue learning how to schedule. Mm-hmm. So it's bad. It's bad. And then the other thing, like tonight, this family brought in their daughter and just to, you know, help her and educate her. And Who struggles with substance use or no, it's family? Her She's a family member. Her yeah. sister does. Okay. So it was mom and dad and the sister. And the sister had so many questions, you know, and then she kept calling mom and dad out, you know, on a couple things. She's like, well, why do you keep doing this then? So then we went an hour and 15 minutes today. And I'm like, I'm so bad at going, oh, okay, time's up. We got to reschedule. I'm just awful at it. It's Well, it's hard in this industry. It right. is. There shouldn't be a schedule to it, but there has to be. Yeah, I mean, or you're going to ruin yourself, run yourself into the ground. Oh, it's better than my last place because that was 24-7. Yeah. Well, that's good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that learning how to say no and stop and because it's like everybody you want that comes in, you just want to help as much as possible. Yep. Yes, it's super uh, difficult in those situations because then, then the, the stuff runs through your mind like what if – I don't answer other questions right now and they leave and something happens. Right. And preparing, you know, I do have like a method that I try to follow, but preparing for them to come in and then you think what you're going to focus on by what last week was like is where you're going to go this week. And it's something completely different because of something <laughs> that happened through the week. So it's, um, anyways. Oh, yeah. You have to be. Um, so I'm okay hiding behind the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to be able to adjust. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Think on your feet. Mm-hmm. That's a fun, that's a fun thing. So Janet Gaskin, you are, what is your title again? I forgot. Family liaison? Family support liaison. Family support. That's right. Yes. So all the, so you don't deal with the person who is struggling with substance use directly anymore no unless they are someone that i worked previously with at my last job okay some of them have a comfort level there's a relationship built so some of them do specifically reach out to me um, and i do still continue to help them but no no new clients that way okay yeah that's that's pretty nice then. yeah so strictly family so families come in and just kind of meet with you yep and we just talk about what's been going on and 
what do they know about addiction and how to get your life back and to make sure that they know that there's hope. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of hope to be had. We just sometimes have to look for it. Try to help them with, you know, self-care and help um, setting up like some healthy boundaries for them. A lot of education, just, you know, helping them to understand what their loved one is going through. That's what it all is about. Educating, educating, educating. Mm-hmm. It is, it's ridiculous and insane how many people just, when they get in the situation, are clueless. Right. And, and that truly happens. And, and they just, you know, this, how did this happen to me? This can't be real. They put it in denial. So there's, there's a lot of positives if they're willing to work with me um, while their loved one's in treatment. It's, it's a nice, everyone's kind of working in the same direction. Yeah. And then it's depending on the stage that their loved one is even at. I guess that depends on what you're going to say to them. Mm-hmm. I had a girl text. There was this dude, actually, well, I guess I'm not going to mention his name, but he was um, <laughs> he was in the car with me. He didn't come out of jail. He came in on his own, but he was in the car with me on the ride to Blaisdell. So I've been with him on this journey since, you know, pretty much well, day one out really? of jail. Yeah. And he just relapsed. Oh, yeah, so I, his girlfriend was messaging me on Facebook today, and he's got a little he's got a little girl. She's got to be what two maybe. Oh. And he's just he. I got him in the Oxford house pretty much right when I when I moved out. He was in supportive living, and he just got um he just relapsed. And I'm like, and she's asking me. He's just like, you know, I told her I was like, if he only slipped up this one time, don't let him beat himself up. Right. Because I feel like that's such a huge thing, and I kind of put that blame towards AA and NA and groups like that because they put such an emphasis on consecutive clean days right in a row and if you get these consecutive clean days you get rewarded with this coin or this keychain and everybody claps for you and cheers for you but if you screw up once you got to start all over right and so I feel like that just adds to guilt and shame on people a lot so yeah and that's one of the things I really try to educate people on is that a slip up can sometimes be a really good thing you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it brings you back to, oh, my gosh, you know, this is like a serious thing I'm fighting and I can't let my guard down. And, you know, maybe you're getting overconfident thinking, you know, I've got this. But as soon as you think you've got this, that's that's not the good thing to be thinking. Mm-hmm. And so I like that, um, you know, educating them, letting them know that sometimes these things will happen. How we react afterwards, you know, sometimes defines if it's going to be like a complete relapse or if it's just going to be a... Um, you threw me with the pen. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I had to write notes down. If it's going to be a relapse and, you know, they're going to go for a bit, or if it's just, you know, I slipped up last night, I'm remorseful today, I want to get right back in the game. And to me, they don't lose that recovery time that they had. You still had I agree. it. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. I've had so many people so many people I've known since I've gone been going through this whole journey that have just, I mean, sometimes just like a couple beers, like they had two or three beers and mm-hmm. somebody found out and they got kicked out of an Oxford house because somebody smelled beer on their breath or whatever. And they just say, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And they just go. And then you know, I had yeah. one guy I knew was he's in the hospital right now because he got kicked out of an Oxford house for having a couple beers and then just felt like crap. Yep. And went, yep. went right back at it. 
so that's where education comes in mm-hmm. is is letting people know that this is this is a, a, a real thing post-acute withdrawal syndrome it is a real thing you know little sk- slip-ups are going to happen you know not always but do they sometimes yes mm-hmm. absolutely and how we prepare for them and how we react to them can sometimes define what direction your loved one's going to go into what yeah absolutely and that's why I just that's why I do what I do Yep. Is it really just throw the message out there to so many people? Yep. Because I love the podcast way of it because you can be doing anything, driving, cleaning the house, and have this on in the background and you can hear somebody like you come on this show and say stuff like that or like mm-hmm. people like Paul and Jackie Thompson who talk uh, about their them. son who you know, who died and just so many people I've had on here that can share their knowledge and experience. And it, people can listen to it, and it's just so ex- easily accessible. Yep. And I think that's one of the number one reasons why I love this yeah. podcast. Well, number one reason is because it helps me. But, right, right. And but look at how great yeah. you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I love it. It's just it's awesome, and it's just so important to get the education out there. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And and the message of hope. We, and, and I always say hope. Mm-hmm. It's my biggest thing I hang on to because without that, we have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so literally, literally, nothing. there's yeah. nothing. So know that there's hope out there. Know that there's people like you that, that get into recovery and they rock that role in recovery and they, they turn it into something positive to give to other people. That's what's important to know that and look at families that are broken, come back together. There's just it might not ever seem that it's possible, but in the very darkest, awful place you could ever be, there's hope. There is. I just talked about that in the the Spectrum Health and Human Services podcast I did with the one guy. The human mind needs it. If you don't have it, really, the people who don't have any, absolutely no hope are the people who commit suicide. Yeah. And the human mind needs to have some kind of hope to hold on to. Like, all right, there is something that can change. There is a possibility here that good can come from this or I can become better at what I'm failing at right now. Yep. And we need that as human beings. That is a fact. (laughs) It really is. And that's, I guess, that ultimately it's kind of what your job is and what places like Horizon and Spectrum and Best Self, that mean, that's what their job is to keep instilling hope in the people. Absolutely. That, oh, I relapsed for the 12th time, but there's still hope. Maybe you got this the 13th time. Absolutely. You never give up. Never give up because one time it will click. And that's the one time that we need to be there. So we always stay connected. We always stay hopeful. And I assume, I'm going to assume, I don't know if this is a correct assumption, most families that are coming to you are probably pretty hopeful. I've seen that they're actually reaching out and actually participating. But what Some do you, you kind of see? Yeah, it's it's a mix. Um, you know, some know that their loved one might be being... Um, they're not going to be able to be seen anymore. They're not compliant. They're not participating. They're not going to groups. They're toxic and positive all the time, you know, and so that becomes a question of how often, you know, what do we do? But that's, I still work with those families when they feel like this is it, you know, he's, he's not going to be able, she's not going to be able to continue this program. Mm-hmm. No, we'll still work together. And it was interesting because I literally just had that exact scenario play out you know, and the the young man reached out to his mom and said, today's it. And now he's in treatment. And, and, you know, she's so grateful where she felt that there was nothing, nothing to hang on to. Yeah, that's a great story to hear. Yeah, you never know. You never know. And as soon as you give up and don't have any hope, I mean, that's when just it's, I think, just pretty much real darkness at that yeah. point. Yeah. 
and you just it's like a snap of the fingers you don't know what what time you're gonna wake up yep but kind of swinging it back to my friend who just relapsed that I've known for a while it came back to me he always said I'm doing this for my daughter I'm doing this for my daughter and he was he, he would say I know you know you say you have to do this for yourself but I'm doing this for my daughter and I remember telling him I said bro there's gonna be a point where that's, I know how much, I know you would die for your kid, but there's going to be a point where that's not going to be enough. Yep. And that was one of the biggest things. I mean, and then here he goes. I mean, mm-hmm. it just happened, just found out this morning, yesterday. At least he got caught yesterday. I don't know how long it was going on, but I mean, eventually that isn't enough. As no, much you as, have to want it. Yeah. And as much as I love my kids, if I was doing any of this for them, as much as I love Christine, if I was doing any of this for her, much as I love my parents and sister, if I was doing this for them, it would not work. Nope. It would not because there comes a point. I, I don't know what it is. I feel like it's more of a, all right, maybe I can get away with this without that person knowing. And, Accountability. And they'll still think that I'm doing good and that way I don't disappoint them, but then I can keep doing what I really want to do. Right. And I, it's just such a huge thing to really want it for yourself. And that's why you can't force anybody to go to rehab and expect it to work. You can't force anybody to do anything and expect it to work. That's the stages of change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I work with every family through that stages of change. And it's so true, you know, to understand where your loved one is so they receive the message that you're trying to give them. So it's, you know, that's that's the key to that. Yeah, I, th- I wish everybody would take those kind of classes like that I was going to say recovery coach classes but I mean we happen to just learn about the stages of change obviously in Mm -hmm. those classes but something along those lines to be educated right right to know when you can you know introduce the idea of treatment not when they're telling you you're the one with the problem it's not the time (laughs) when they're in complete utter (laughs) denial that they even have an issue is not the time to say go to treatment that is correct (laughs) they're not going to hear you (laughs) yeah that's not going to work and that's what I told Uh, this particular friend's girlfriend today I was like if he's not even admitting and still trying to lie like she messaged me if she could have the number of the president over there because she was like he got kicked out and the story he's giving me I think is BS and I just told her right away I was like here's his number but from from what I heard you know he was using didn't even want to take the drug test after he pulled for uh, to do a random tox at the house meeting Uh, and I'll be thinking about him yeah it's a bummer it's a bummer. I was kind of just, my mom got all welled up when I told her because she's seen him all the time with his daughter out at Horizons. I mean, he was literally maybe six, seven days behind me getting out to Horizons when I got there. And it's just, yeah, it was a bummer to hear that. Yeah. I was talking to the guy at the Oxford house. I was like, no matter how much somebody even annoys you <laughs> and you can't stand them when you hear about somebody relapse and it's just, it's like, ah, oh, yep, man, mm-hmm. another one. But hopefully they emerge stronger, realizing that they can't let their guard down again. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't let your guard down every single day. You've got to be fighting that. Because yeah. if you're not, it's going to win. Yeah, it, and it will win very quickly. Mm-hmm. You wake up one day, how did I get back to this step? Right. And I love that you said um, you can't think you got this because that was always my quote from like day one. I'm sure I've shared I shared it with that? you. Yeah, because I, so, I say yeah. I say that to families all the time. I know as I got soon this. As, yeah. as long as I know I don't got this was always is my quote I came up with. I think I just quoted you out yeah. of out of um, Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> is there something that I shouldn't have done there? <laughs> no, absolutely. Spread but that's the, quote. the truth. Yeah. I do. I say that often. 
It's it's so important because that was the first thing I heard. I mean, I'm a very deep thinker. I love get my one of my favorite things to read about in my free time as a hobby is philosophy. So I love just thinking in general. So as soon as I got, I mean, really in jail is when I worked on more self-pity and how I talked to myself. But as soon as I got to a rehab, I was like, I'm going to figure out why so many people relapse. Even after six, seven years of yep. clean time, why are people relapsing? They let their guard down. And that that's it. I mean, it always came back to that for me. I would always see people just, all right, I don't got to work on this anymore. Yep. I'm good. I can just go back and not think about it and they end up falling on their face. Well, look at that. And something that you have said, I now say. Um, so that's that's so cool. I'm going to have to copyright that. Yeah. Start charging people when they say it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a pretty penny. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love that. I mean, everybody that sees that, I have it up on the website. Oh, actually, I got to put it on the website because I just redid my whole website. But everybody who says that or hears that say they love it. And I was glad it just kind of came to me the one mm -hmm. day. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And that's why I tell people this podcast helps me the most. And even starting Room 9 and everything else I'm trying to get going helps me the most because every day I at least have to make, even if I take a day off, in quotes, I have to do some social media stuff, which therefore reminds me of where I've come from yep. and the journey I've come from. So every day I'm forced anyway to yes. remind myself of the journey from day one yep. of being arrested. Mm. and then leaving there mm -hmm. so you're saying earlier i don't know if we were recording yet about a family that came in and the daughter has a million questions walk me through like a bit of like a session for you and that what are families what are the most common things you kind of see in families that they want to know so every family that I meet with, you know, we have stuff that we discuss and I introduce myself and how I got to this point in my life. And, you know, I want to hear their story and people want to hear, they want to be heard. And so, you know, they tell me their story and that's where I tell them after they're done, that's the last we're really going to talk about your loved one, um, because this is for you, for how you can cope, how you can continue to go on about your day, despite the choices that maybe your loved one is making. And and so, yes, I did. When you say, sorry to cut you, when you say fight the choices, what do you mean by no, that? No, in spite of the choices. Oh, in spite of the choices. Yes. Okay, I thought I said fight the choices. No, okay. no, no. So you might have somebody who, you know, they, they're building some boundaries and, and trying to build up to where hopefully at one point, you know, their loved one might seek treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we work really small and, you know, you make a choice like I can't force you to choose sobriety today, but I can offer you where you have a choice to make, whether you're going to choose sobriety or you're going to choose this. And maybe one of those little nice things that you have, I pay for your cell phone. Well, maybe I'm going to choose not to pay for your cell phone next next month. Things like that, that you, you have a little bit of control with mm -hmm. and you can use that to your benefit. And eventually what typically happens is you do find something that matters, as in the kid I was just talking about a few minutes ago, that he did, in fact, got to where his only choice was to choose recovery. And now he's in treatment. But um, so, you know, oftentimes it's mom and dad. They don't have a clue 
you know, mm-hmm. what is going on. They So much of the time. Yeah. So I would say more often than not, they, mm-hmm. they don't even understand what has happened. You know, they thought maybe she was smoking cigarettes and, you know, something completely different is going on. And so sometimes it's that basic of an introduction about what is the disease and, and it does follow the concept of a disease. And do you understand that this is you know, a lifelong reoccurring disease that, you know, you have to maintain. Doesn't mean your life is over, you know, contrary, but that educating them to understand that. The other siblings in the house, you know, they have a lot of, what about me? I'm still here, Mm. you know. I'm the good kid, you know, why aren't you looking out for me? Why, you know, why am I not getting taken out to dinner for making a good choice today, things like that. So we try to bring the whole family together so that they all understand what addiction is. And some people will say he does nothing all day, you know, literally, you know, he he got out of treatment, he comes here for outpatient or, you know, he's just going to meetings, but he does nothing all day. And I challenge that because if he's staying sober, that's like a gazillion little battles won all day long. Mm. And that's a huge something that they're accomplishing. And oftentimes that's a big eye-opener for families. And they're like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I see it now. There is hope. There is hope. I see this. And so we just build upon that. I'm their safe person that they can, you know, do whatever they, you know, if they want to yell or cry or just be heard that day. I'm not a counselor, so I don't, you know, give advice, but I I offer them hope and education in ways that we know do help with those that are in an active addiction and even those that are in early recovery, you know, Mm -hmm. how to continue to support them. The whole the good sibling thing. That's <laughs> hard. I know. I, th- I think about that with, I mean, I'm very blessed to have a little sister who really hasn't done much to make my parents' life difficult that is very understanding and very forgiving. Because I remember, tell, I remember telling her in jail, like, all right, mom and dad had four kids. Two of them died. Another one's a fuck up. So you got to keep this going good, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you got to keep going strong because you're the only hope they got there right now. And I remember telling her that jokingly. Jokingly. But, but yeah, it's true, though. They do. They do get ignored. And I do always laugh because I also told her I get the high fives. I get that. I'm so proud of you. And here you go. You have this person who's never done anything to screw up. She's got her master's degree. She's a teacher full time. She has her own house. She just bought a brand new Jeep. Like she's doing great. And they don't, I mean, they, they not throwing her a party. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, but they're so proud of me and I'm still 30, going to be 34 at September 1st. And, you know, I'm still living with my parents part time, <laughs> which is OK. But I, I want to bring is. that no, back. You said in jail when you said I'm I'm a fuck up. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what people in, in, in active addiction think of themselves? Absolutely. You yeah. know, and so aware of that thought process, because if I said, <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> where is that going to make you feel that there's hope? You know, so we, mm-hmm. you know, we have to make sure that we watch our words when we're talking to those that have this disease, because we can easily reinforce what's already in their head. Very easily, with one simple comment. Yep. I have a lot of conversations on the language thing, because even there's even professionals who are using terrible vocabulary to talk about people with substance use disorder. Yeah. And I know I always joke around because the people I'm very close with and like Christine, I mean, we some of the things we say to each other are so messed up if anybody ever heard them. 
like in a joking way, like Correct, you know, right. laughing and having a good time. But yeah, obviously I know where she stands with everything. But when you get into like a serious thing where you just, I mean, one thing, what are you, stupid? Yep. I mean, that can just send somebody in a backspin. And the so language fast. we use is so important. So important. I did an episode with, I don't know if you, do you know Keith Greer? Um, and Lori Drescher? Only through Lori. I've, I don't okay. think I've ever personally met him. I've okay. always had dealings just with Lori. Yeah, but he he's huge on the, I did a podcast with him and we talked about the, the language thing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's insane. I mean, even he was telling me, he goes to these these conferences to speak where these are all professionals, doctors, PhDs, I mean, master's degrees, multiple master's degrees. I mean, there's so many people who are in the professional world and are using stuff, even just like addict and, I mean, crackhead and just so yep. many. They, they. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that. Well, they, you know, <laughs> what? who's they? You know, what does that mean? What do you mean, you people? Right. <laughs> That human being that has feelings, mm-hmm. you know, that feels really bad about themselves right now. Let's give them something to hang on to. Yeah, that and it's so important. It's so important. I mean, even I grew out of the stage, and this is another topic Keith and I touched on, because at first it felt great to say, I'm Sean and I'm an addict, to name it, find a problem, name it, and then work on it. But now that I'm going on almost 18 months of sobriety... Woo-hoo. I'm so much more than that. In my head, I don't ever, I can't remember the last time I said, hey, I'm Sean and I'm an addict. Right. It's been months, probably three or four months since I've even come close to saying that. And because I'm like, I am, it's true. I'm so much more than just an addict. (laughs) Correct. Correct. And Um, I think that's important to recognize that, you know, you're a dad, you're someone's significant other, you're a son and a brother and a friend and a mentor and all of these things. And and part of what you are is also someone who struggles with the disease of addiction, mm -hmm. but is in recovery. You know, it's just a part. Yep. And it's so important, I think, for people to really try to learn and move on from the stage of just identifying solely as an addict yep 12 step and that those have worked for a lot of people but i mean to be honest i feel like when it comes to opiate addiction it's failing and it's failing hard and i think so much of it has to do with how people talk to themselves and talk about themselves and i think that's a huge huge like starting point and I've always say that I don't think anything can truly, completely, fully change until you start talking about yourself better and yeah. talking to yourself better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where it started with me. And when I map out my the things that I've worked on from jail to now, it started with I cannot get in self-pity. And how do I get in self-pity? I talk to myself like a piece of shit. Yep. And I treat myself like a piece of shit. And that's immediately that was the first stage I started at. Good for you. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Even when you, you know, I knock over a drink and, you know, people say, oh, you fucking idiot, (laughs) you dumbass. And you say those things and I just tell people your ego will eventually cling to that and identify with it. Correct. If you say it enough. Yeah. If you do nothing but talk to yourself negatively, you will believe it. Right. And find your place like you have, Mm -hmm. you know, find, you have to have a purpose, you know, find your purpose. You know, and then run with it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so many people have this 
come up with these grandiose ideas of what their purpose is. I'm going to be a movie star. <laughs> but I mean, really, my I always use my good buddy Matt as an example because he went through BOCES and Access VR and he's an electrician and he loves it. Yep. He really is like, I've never enjoyed working so much. He just, I love getting down and tinkering with little things and fixing problems and wiring things up. And he just, he loves it. And in this, I think the spot to do it is in rehab. That's a time when you have really no other responsibilities at that point other than working on yourself and finding right. that. And that's why it always drove me nuts when people weren't paying attention or weren't doing anything in there and just, oh, I'm just going to stay in my room. Right. And they're just, they're there for whatever reason. And I think mm-hmm. it speaks to, you know, like, are you there for yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, it does. I mean, it goes right back to that. And that's where healing starts. That's where, you know, you can talk to your mom again. That's where, you know, relationships can start building again. Um, so I think it's really important that, you know, while you're in there, you're focusing on all of those aspects. Yes, it is very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Mm-hmm. There's a guy at the Oxford house that I just left. And I remember we kind of, we got in, I, tr- I did something when I was a the president there because I was just so tired of people talking behind everybody's back, but never, when it comes to the house meeting, you got any problems? No. You got any issues? No. And so like I did this thing where we were going to name five things, you know, we went through everybody in the house. One thing that you want somebody to work on and another thing that they're good at. And he Brilliant. Made, yeah. But he ended up making a joke out of it. He just started writing on everyone. Don't change anything. You're beautiful. And I'm like, dude, you, you know, I flipped out at him. Then I apologized to him later on that day. I was just like, when you were in the village, you did nothing. And I already had it in my mind that you were going to take it as a joke. And I reacted the wrong way. And he just, he kind of came up with some excuses of, you know, what he was doing in the village and why he wasn't doing it, but that he was working with his sponsor and all of that. And I mean, he's relapsed twice already. Yeah. And I'm just, and I don't say that to be like, ha ha, I was right. But I'm just, it was so important. I've seen it in so many people. I've seen the people who I was in rehab with who didn't put nothing into it and who have failed miserably since they've come out. Well, my next point I wanted to talk about was the whole doing nothing thing. I get that mindset a lot, too. Like, you're just sitting in your room doing nothing. And I don't know if it's so much that as it is you're sitting in your room doing nothing, but you're complaining about everything. That really drives me nuts. Yes. There's a difference. And that is the difference there. Because when you said that, I was like, well, I do. I really can't stand when people sit in their room and do nothing. But it's that's not what bothers me. It bothers me when they're sitting there, complain about everything and do nothing. (laughs) Right. And that is a bit that is a huge difference because I've known so many people who complain about their mental health, complain about you know, this this not happening, this not working out. And what are you doing to fix that? And then that? you're just laying in bed all day. Yep. We have to empower people to give them the, the, the courage to know that they can do something productive. Mm-hmm. That just because for a long time maybe you couldn't make a good decision or maybe you couldn't walk into DSS or whatever it is that you are capable, you know, and you can do this and work, you know, just baby steps sometimes. And that's a lot for someone. It is a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's so many human beings out there who don't struggle with substance use disorder who don't go to the appointment they have or they yep. just ignore a parking ticket. I don't feel like paying this. Yep. And just those little things, I mean, I had to teach myself 
coming back out is I would ignore those things all the time, little issues, little things like that, and just hope they go away. Like that's going to ever, like that's ever worked out or have happened in the history of mankind. (laughs) (laughs) If problem goes away by ignoring it. The only time that ever worked is if your brother or sister were teasing you or something. Right, right, exactly, yeah. But there's no, just those little things feel good, those little goals. And And, and it's important in early recovery to recognize and respect those, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't think it should be like that's where we hang out for a long time. You know, work, work on getting yourself those skills to, you know, get you back to be an active and productive member of the community Mm because you are able to do that. You know, And, and sometimes it's hard when families, you know, say we're just completely done. That's okay. That's okay. It kind of sucks for you, and my heart hurts for you, but you can still do this. Mm-hmm. And again, just say in the hope. There's hope. There has to be. And that was something I had to come to terms with in my head, especially with Christine, because I've always felt like I always had the mindset of I didn't deserve a human being as awesome as she is. Mm. And so I remember always kind of having a mindset of, oh, this would, I, would, I don't know if I'd be able to do this without her. I don't want to say my relationship was with her was ever codependent because it wasn't. But there was you know little hints of it right there. I mean, when I would be like, oh, I don't know if I'd be able to do any of this without her. And I think that was one of the things I tell her and I thank her for all the time is thank you for making me realize that I do deserve such an awesome person like you. Absolutely. And I tell her that all the and time. And she is awesome. She is. Yeah, she's super awesome. Everybody who meets her agrees with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that you, I mean, you have to change your mindset. You can do it alone. It is easier. I'm very thankful for the family support I've had. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's easier for me to say that, you know, because I've had it, but anybody can do it. There's so much help out there. Yep. Yep. If you want it, you can do it. mm -hmm. You truly can. It's hard work and you got to want to do it. I think that, you know, and it was interesting when I first started working in this, in this business, I never respected how hard it was to get to recovery, and then how hard it was to be sustained in recovery, mm-hmm. like you, 18 months. And and that's heroic to me, knowing now that I, I have seen both sides of this. You know, I've worked hand in hand with the person that has the disease of addiction and, you know, celebrated, you know, their recovery and now working, you know, with the families. It is no small task to get yourself into long-term recovery. Like I said, they're, they're, they're a special type of badass, in my opinion, because it, it truly is, it takes every little thing you have to get there. Oh, it's a mental, it's a mental world war. Yep. It is just constant, constant discipline in your head and the way you think. Yeah. And having that attitude of, I'm going to, I'm going to do this no matter what. Right. It is such a, because any little thing can send you back into a dark spot in your thinking. Yep. Any little thing. I mean, whether it's I mean, seeing somebody upset, somebody paranoid about you relapsing and then feeling guilty because they're paranoid about it. I mean, there's just so many. There's a million different things that can send you back into negative thinking, which in return for being a negative thinking, you end up just going to use to try to numb that. Right. And that was one of the biggest things when I got kind of clean on my own for a month. I think it lasted. I wanted to. All right. I'm done using. I got through my withdrawal. I'm done. I don't want to talk about anything. I don't want to work and I'm just going to keep going on with my life. Let's just sweep this all under the carpet and pretend it never happened. Yeah, that probably worked pretty good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It worked out great. Then I was in jail. 
but I mean, that's what it is. And then anything I would, you know, be reminded of, oh my gosh, uh, what I did to this person. And then guilt and shame would just weigh on my shoulders. And it's just, there's no, there's no getting over that if you're not going to go through hell in your head mm-hmm. to, all right, yes, I caused that, but I'm not feeling guilty about it anymore. It's huge how you just mm-hmm. said that. It's huge. I hope that that statement reaches a lot of people because that is so true is to say, you know, it was, it was, it was awful. Yeah, it I was did. messed up, but, mm-hmm. but I like throwing the button there. Yep. But I'm not going to feel guilty. And I did this podcast with this, um, I think she was a licensed mental health counselor, Brittany, uh, Brittany Bennett, her name was. And I just randomly found her on psychologytoday.com and messenger about doing it. And she was pumped up about it. And she actually donated $100 to uh, Room 9 afterwards, which was great. Oh, wonderful. And But she said it like this. And I said I made a joke about stealing something in her office that I liked. It was a little sign on her desk. And I made a joke about it. She was like, oh, I would be, um, I would be flattered if you stole this. And I said, oh, I hope somebody said that about the money when I stole that from them. <laughs> and, she, and what she said afterwards, I absolutely loved. Because she said, you know what? That person had an opportunity after you did that to learn and grow from that shitty thing that you did to them. Yes. And that responsibility is on them. Your responsibility is learning from the shitty thing that you did to them and growing from that. And that's it. There should be no guilt involved. I do like that. I love it because it just made so much sense. Like there should be no guilt involved. There's no guilt exchange here. Something happens. And because I always preach that, I always preach the best thing to do in tragedy, no matter what, well, one is to cry and weep and don't forget it because that's such a beautiful tool. And two is why you're crying and weeping to pick your head up and learn as much as you possibly can in that moment. And that just connected with me because it was so simply put. You gave them an opportunity. Not that, oh, you did them a favor, but you gave them an opportunity to grow and learn. Right. That was your part in their life. Whether you ever can go back and find out if they grew or learned from that doesn't matter. And it's irrelevant. You gave them that opportunity. Yep. I like that. And I love it. Yeah. It was just such an awesome thing that when she said it, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's, That's wonderfully put. Because mm-hmm. it's so important for us to learn from each and every failure, and so I, I think I remember thinking about it on the drive home, like everything that I've done wrong to somebody, and everything somebody's done wrong to me, is just a teaching experience. Right, and that's really true. Like I'm thinking in my head of different things as you're talking, mm-hmm. and that's so true. Mm-hmm. How we handle whatever it is. Yeah, and we can just use them as you can get in self pity. And sit in bitterness and resentment mm-hmm. and anger if you choose. Yep. But it, yep. Do, it is a choice when it comes down to it. And I think that's an awesome message to spread to family members. <laughs> yeah, honestly, take that. Take mm-hmm. that and learn from that. You know, how can we better make better choices ourselves that are going to, you know, allow our loved one to then be able to make better choices? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we have to change in our own lives that might help them do better in this journey? Yep. So, I mean, any, anytime Christine says, you know, something that she's changed over the last 18 months, year and a half or so, I always just say, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. Yep. That's why I did it, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you could learn those things. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was just all for lessons for you. Yeah. It was just a, a complete selfless act. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's good stuff. I do. I always try to just share with people too, because I think of my ex-wife a lot and how reason. And I I'm at the point where I I called and like had a phone conversation with her, maybe two or three phone conversations that I've been able to have with her on the telephone for probably six years now, and. She's just in her her voice. I can hear her bitterness and her anger towards me still, like it was just yesterday. Like it hasn't changed at all. She's married, has another kid, and has not changed one bit. And I hear that, and I just, you know, apologize to her for my part in our mess up. Yep. And and everything. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. And you have beautiful children. Oh, they're amazing. The highlight of my of my day here today was definitely getting to meet them. Yeah, that's why I, when I messaged you, I was like, "You gotta see my kids before yeah. they." Before no they denying leave. they're yours. No, no, there is not. <laughs> <laughs> there they definitely are is not. Beautiful children. They are awesome. I mean, I guess my point of bringing it all up was that it just carrying a, that anger and resentment. Like I feel bad for her. Yep. Oh, I can't imagine how heavy that is. Because even the little bit that I carried after our divorce because of the way she kind of treated me and uses the kids in a sense to just hurt me because she knows that's the only way she can at this point and to like get me back, I guess, is what she's trying to do. I just feel that heaviness on her and I know how much that little bit weighed on me for just a short period of time. And she's just still harboring it and I'm just like, oh, it's got to just... That's very sad. It's a heavy load to be carrying around all the time everywhere everywhere she goes i mean that's with you when you take when you have resentments and you can't forgive and accept somebody for the mistakes they've made and learn from them it it prevents you from learning from them and then you just it's a weight it's just a weight and i think she's missing out on you today Mm-hmm. You know, seeing the the father that you are and the person that you are and the partner that you are, you know, the marriage dissolved, but that doesn't mean she can't celebrate where you are today. And mm-hmm. I feel badly for that because oftentimes once you get into that long term recovery, you become this wonderful, beautiful, amazing person that you never, ever were before. Mm-hmm. And and the hope that you then are able to, to give to others is just amazing to watch. And, you know, I think sometimes families miss out on that. They do. Yeah, they do. And I think that's a point I want to bring up. They kind of say that this new and beautiful person, you know, I've become it. I remember at first I was saying, I can't wait to get back to my old life again. And then I remember saying, wait, even before my addiction occurred, like, I don't want to be that person again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was still so much that I didn't, I lacked so much confidence in myself. There was no self compassion or love or forgiveness or acceptance none of those existed I really disliked myself and like I don't ever want to go back to that that's why I'm in the position I'm in now so I've always changed that to I can't wait to have my new life back yes yes (laughs) and because it's just so much I mean it's night and day yeah it's night and day I think one of the biggest things with why my ex-wife she holds on to her anger and resentments is it was always very weird when my kids were born. I always knew I was going to be a great dad. I always knew that from the second my little sister was born. I just knew. And it's weird because it doesn't, it's got to be a rarity in, in family dynamics where both my son and my daughter were both daddy's kids at their, their younger years when they were here with me. They would always 
have me if I'm home, uh, they would sit back down in the crib and say, I want daddy to get me out. I mean, that's how bad. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. how crazy it was. I remember struggling with Michelle on her jealousy of it because of it. So I feel like that's a reason why she tries to keep them from me a lot, too. And yeah. why she holds on to that anger and resentment because she's scared deathless that they're going to choose me over her. But, you know, and I hope you, you get a lot of peace when you look at your relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was only downstairs a few minutes with them and you. And there clearly is a huge connection. Oh, there um, is. Yeah. yeah. And so that that should be enough, hopefully, to, although you feel bad for her, know that the steps that you're doing and the things that you have done have forged that relationship to be strong. Especially now that my son's, he's 12, going to be, he'll be 13 in the, in well, I guess winter, February. And uh, just the conversations I can, I'm starting to be able to have with him are so awesome because mm-hmm. he's starting to get a taste of life. And I was kind of explaining that to him earlier that his mindset, you know, is he's not just in the complete here and now. Kayla's six, seven, but she's still kind of in the now. Not really, when she lays down at night, she's not thinking about something that's going to happen in a week or something that happened a month ago. She's still kind of just, all right, cool. That was a good day. Good yep, night. Go to bed. My son has had trouble like last summer because I was going through all the rehab and stuff. We were talking, actually, I think it was earlier today, that he had a lot of trouble sleeping. And I was like, well, is that because you didn't know what was going on with Daddy? And he's like, yeah. So it was just awesome to be able to have those conversations with him now. I love it. Mm-hmm. What do you say? He's like, Daddy, you're so wise. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yep. Oh, yeah. I got him. <laughs> but it was awesome to be able to start having some like conversation. I actually am thinking about doing a little short podcast with them mm-hmm. which i think would be cool to put out there because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people i know who have 12 13 14 year olds that were in the one gosh the one girls in horizons with i think her son her 12 year old found her overdosing when he walked in the living room like i can't imagine that how hard is like, that yeah yep how hard is that it's crazy the kids are um i always tell people don't feel guilty about anything you put your kids through because they'll forgive you Yep, just, always. Just not, love not, them. I don't want to say make up for it, but just go back. Be authentic back. Yeah. and love them. Mm-hmm. And, and don't be afraid to say, you know, by being authentic, to, to put yourself out there and say, you know, I did make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't always have to explain what the mistake is. The details. Are, right. Yeah. But, you know, I think if you're your true self, you know, and, and you just love them. They're, they're good. Yep. That's all they want. And I, like a lot of my first half of my, after my divorce, was just feeling guilty for getting a divorce <laughs> because I'm, oh, how much did I screw my kids up? And that made me a worse parent at the time. That made me, oh, I don't want to call him because I'll feel guilty. I don't want to call and talk to him because I'll feel bad afterwards or I'll right. feel shameful. And when they tell me they miss me or whatever it is. And just really trying to get over that. And I, you can kind of almost relate that to anything when you come out of substance use and you're in recovery. Those, there's a lot of things that are going to come up where you might feel guilt. Yeah. That, and it's so important to get that mental mindset of, all right, I'm good. I screwed up, but it's all right. It's all right. I can, I'm doing it now. Past mistakes do not define us. Correct. Yes. Do you want to talk about that ridiculous law? Oh, that's right. We did touch on Mm -hmm. the Stevens law. That's a good one. And I think that that's important to keep talking about that because 
yeah. they want to go back next year, and that we just cannot let that pass. So yeah, so Stevens Law, obviously it's just New York, right? It's not a national thing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we brought that up last time. I meant to go back and re-listen to that podcast as terrible as it was to kind of touch on some of the things we talked about. But yeah, Stevens Law is basically, I'll let you, actually, I'll just let you discuss it. So what is Stevens Law, Janet? It scares me is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because what, what Stephen Law's, Stephen's Law is, is it says if the, the facility that that person is working with, you know, in, in an outpatient setting or whatever the case may be, that if there is a relapse or, you know, a use that shows up, that they need to reach out to family. And now, was the, that strictly use or was that even suspicion? Um, don't quote me. Okay. I don't know 100%. Um, and I could even be wrong on, on the basics. But what I understand it to be is if someone in an outpatient setting, you know, sees that there's use by either admission of the person or by a tax test that says, yes, there's use, that they need to report that right away to family with the thought behind it, which is a good thought, that then perhaps they can help that person to not go further downwards and hopefully save a life. Mm -hmm. What scares me about that is that I feel that we're going to lose the communication that someone who's in active addiction knows this might happen. I'm not going to tell my counselor. I'm no longer going to be honest with my counselor. I want my family involved in my treatment and my recovery, but now I don't because I don't want them to panic and flip out every single time I have a bump in the road. Mm -hmm. So that's what scares me about Stephen's law the most. I love his mother. I love Stephen. And my heart breaks every single day for her and the many other moms and dads that have to go through what she went through. So certainly nothing against her and what she's trying to do. And I see what she's trying to do, but I think it's going to have a negative effect. And I think we're going to end up having a spike again and, you know, really serious consequences. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on that. I mean, when it comes down to it is when you're in a counseling scenario, what it takes to order in order to help somebody is vulnerability and connection not having that vulnerability and that connection. And you are saying that if it's not a bump in the road, pretty much, then it's going to be coming out anyway. It's going to be fairly obvious pretty quick. And it doesn't take much, especially if you start getting more experience in it. I always love that in the Oxford house, how like nobody lasts more than a day, two days using in an Oxford house, like heavily using. Right. It just, it doesn't happen. Some people might get away with a slip up, a bump in the road that actually is just a bump in the road and continue on. But if it's not, like you said, if it's not a bump in the road, you're living with nine, seven, eight, nine other people who have been through the game. And they're going (laughs) to see Who know every excuse, who know everything. So if you kind of go back to saying if families are educating themselves, they're paying attention, if they're observing, if they're involved, they're going to know when it's not just a bump in the road very quickly. One of the things that I work with on families is symptoms and behaviors of addiction mm-hmm. you know so you, that's awesome yeah you know you can start seeing okay so this is going along fine and all of a sudden now you know why are you up in my face why are you worried about this you know when last week it was perfectly fine to ask where are you going tonight mm-hmm. um, those are little symptoms that that might you know warrant some some conversation you know so 
again, I admire Angela and her strength and, and what she was able to do, but I just think it's it's really going to wreak a lot of havoc, havoc in, in the community. I agree. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, when somebody goes through losing a child, which I can't even imagine. I mean, I lost a brother and sister. I can't imagine what my parents went through losing two kids. And, you know, she wants that moment back. She wanted, she wants somebody to be able to call her and say, he talks dirty today. Right. So she could have gotten involved. I mean, in the long haul, I don't know, would that have made, would that have stopped him? You know, would it stopped the same outcome? I mean, obviously you can't figure that out. Right. There's not an answer to that. But, right. I mean, even if parents do know, I mean, what is that going to do? You're not going to stop somebody who wants to use from using. Absolutely not. If, if they want to, they are going to. And there I just said the lay, they. Um, but that is 100% true. And I often would say to folks at my last job when, you know, they're living further away from, say, city court or, you know, wherever they need to get to counseling or, you know, for their methadone. Well, I can't get there every day. How am I supposed to do this? And mm. I call it, you know, right it is is, is if you were going there to get your drugs, we'd never be having this conversation because yeah. you'd figure out how to get there. You so would. use that same resiliency. <laughs> To figure out how to get to your counseling or your methadone or whatever it is you need to get to that's supporting your recovery. And if staying in recovery is what you truly want, you will figure it out. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you will. Yeah, and I, I remember telling that to people all the time. You would walk three days while you're dope sick to make to be able to get some dope if you were if you know if you were back in the in the grind of things. Yep, you would. I mean the things. I mean literally. My favorite thing about being clean is at the end of everything, it was literally every second of my existence of being awake was how am I going to get money to get more drugs? Even when I went and bought drugs and I'm about to use them, I'm already thinking about how am I going to get more money after this to go out and get more drugs so I can stay at least even feeling like a normal human being now. Right. In, in quotes, but where I don't feel sick. And, and that's that's something else that, you know, I help families see is like, that's what your loved one is going through. Mm-hmm. But guess what? You're going through the same thing, only opposite of where is he? What is he doing? You mm-hmm. know, when's he going to be home? Is he OK? Every second of every day of yeah. every day. So it's the same pattern, just different thoughts. And so we try to change those patterns and thoughts. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome what you're doing. Thanks. I'm, I'm I love huge, it. I'm I pinched huge, myself. <laughs> I know. I love that. I'm hoping to get paid to do this somewhat sooner than later because this doesn't even work to me. I'll do it all day, every day. It is. And that's how I look at it, mm-hmm. you know, is to be able to just work on families, you know, and just work with them. And I'm not a counselor, so I'm not, you know, diagnosing and doing this, but I'm just offering real um, stuff that we know works and real thoughts to challenge your thinking, you know, to hopefully get everyone back in the right direction. Yeah, that's awesome. That's all. What can um, family members do? Who can they call to like get in the Horizon program and get involved with somebody like you or yourself? So um, my partner kind of um, is Colleen Babcock. Mm-hmm. And she takes a lot of community referrals. My referrals are solely based out of, right now, the two locations that I work in, and that's Orchard Park and Union Lawson. So I would refer, you know, if there's a family out there struggling and their loved one is not embracing treatment or even embracing treatment, but they're alone, you know, definitely we have a New Horizon um, support groups. There's two of them a month that Colleen runs. Um, okay. 
you know, that's a, a great resource. Education, they can reach out, you know, to Horizon, ask to, you know, get in touch with Colleen and work individually with her. And, you know, certainly they can always reach out to me if they need to as well. Awesome. That's, I'm so glad you said her name because I need to get her on this podcast. I, when I, when I um, started working at my last job and she one time said to me, we do the same thing. I was like, what? I'm nowhere near, you know, like you are just, you know, like you're this person, like who, you know? And so she's another pinch myself that her Mm -hmm. and I work hand in hand to, you know, try to serve the community and, and do our best to help. And I send a lot of people her way for her support groups because they are so beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm going to have to get her on. Uh I'll have to uh, email Anne and get her, I guess I can get her email from you. Yeah, you might be able to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'll get her on. I'm sure she's seen me. Actually, I don't know why I didn't ask her because she came out when I did my presentation yes. out there, that, that which needs a lot of work too. But yeah, all right, Janet. Well, hopefully this one is good to go. Yes. And I will get this one up ASAP. I really want to just sit up all night and edit it and release it today. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Don't overdo yourself. But I knew when... uh. When, once I got this conversation going with you, I would wake up a little bit because I was ready for bed. <laughs> yeah, you had a hot day in the sun. That's, oh, those and a are... late night and an early morning. And yes, yes. My kids are wearing me down. That's We're all going right. nonstop. It's a blast. <laughs> well, thank you right. for having no me. Thank, thank you for you. doing what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, all right, all right. I hope you guys loved that episode. Janet is absolutely amazing. She is so awesome. I've ran into, I shouldn't even say I've ran into, the majority of people I have met that are in recovery know who Janet is, love Janet. She is just somebody who has helped more people than I know that she thinks she has. She has helped so many people. She is awesome. As always, thank you for listening. Go to room9podcast.com. Check out what we got going on there. Hit the support page up if you can help financially. That is amazing. That is awesome. If you can't help financially, help us sharing on social media, filling out contact forms, sharing posts, commenting on posts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I think that's all of them. Tumblr, if you're on there. I don't know too many people who are, but that's apparently a thing, and we're on there, and we post. So hit us up. All right, guys. Till next time. Stay positive, stay loved, stay encouraged, take care of yourselves, and that way you can take care of others. All right, peace out.